The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are here on Sunday the 9th, this day after history occurred. And isn't it amazing? I'm still questioning whether history has actually been made or if we've only, like, added ourselves to the history books. But okay. Well, let's see. Sidney Crosby uh, has made some history. Okay, I'll accept um, that. There was some history made uh, in the NCAA men's uh, Frozen Four uh, final. That was definitely history because it's the first time in school history. Yeah. Um, the Boston Bruins pushed their ridiculous record to even more ridiculous heights. And we'll get to all of that, but we do actually have other stuff to talk about first. Really? All right. Well, then we should probably talk about that. Uh, where do you want to start this week? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, if we're going to wait on all that other stuff. Wait a minute. That's all we've got. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, all right. Let's we'll start with the Washington the Capitals. Yep, see that we capitals. Um, back when Orlov was traded, um, the GM got called to the principal's office. The principal being uh, Ovi Alex- himself, Alexander Ovechkin. Yes. <laughs> um, over the fact that he was promised by uh, by the owner that they would never do a rebuild. Well, he was there. True. Uh, careful observers of NHL.com will note that uh, Tom Galitti, um, staff writer for NHL.com, put up a story this week talking about some of the difficult decisions that will need to be made to retool around the what he refers to as an older core. And by older core, he means OV37, not that time seems to be applying to him, uh, except his hair. Um, TJ Oshie, 36, uh, time has definitely caught him and touched him in places that, uh, you're not supposed to talk about in public. Uh, Nick Backstrom also, uh, who's 35 at present, um, as Evgeny Kuznetsov, who is of course in yet another rumor involving him going back to Russia. Um, Tom Wilson, who's only 28. I don't know how that counts as older, it's about prime age for the NHL and John Carlson, one of the three or four most underappreciated defensemen in the entire NHL, uh, who is 33. Um, looking at that, looking at the players that they have signed for next year, which does not include Kuznetsov, um, they have their first and second round picks this year. Um, they have three second-round picks in 2025, so they may be able to get some deals done at the draft this year. But looking at next year, they're not in terrible, terrible shape. Uh, actually, Kuznetsov is signed for next year. I forgot. Uh, so Ovi, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Oshi, Mantha, who is widely speculated to be moving elsewhere because he's had a terrible season. Tom Wilson, who's going nowhere because... I just can't see. I just can't see it happening. 
Um, he's not quite as hated as Jordan Bennington, but uh, he's not the league's favorite. They have practical babe in the woods, Dim, uh, Dylan Strom at all of 26 years old. Um, they have Nick Dowd, 32. Um, Nicholas Obey Kubel, 26. Um, Alexei Protus, 22. Beck Malinson and Sonny Milano, 25 and 26 up front. So they really don't need to do well. They can field a team that will be competitive without adding a huge amount. Um, as of right now, uh, they're going to Connor Sheary or Connor Brown is a is on long term injured reserve and will be a UFA after the season. Carl Haglin, long term injured reserve, UFA at the end of the season. That's six million uh, over six million in cap space. They're not going to be paying for. Um, they also have Orlov money and Eller money coming off of the coming off of their cap hit for another 3.6. So they're getting like $10 million in clearance as it stands today. Okay. They're current. Uh, they currently have 19 players signed to NHL contracts for next year or expected to be on the roster. 28 million. Um, or rather, and it will leave them with just $5 million in projected cap space. So if they're going to upgrade, they do need to move, which makes guys like Mantha um, expendable, probably even a requirement that they move on. What they probably will also move on from one or more of their goaltenders because uh, they have three of them signed to NHLD or expected to be on the NHL roster next year with uh, Mitchell Gibson, Charlie Lindgren, and Darcy Kemper. Well, obviously Kemper's sticking around. They they gave him, what, four years? Yeah, uh, he's got four more seasons at five and a quarter. I mean, what? not a bad deal for a pretty solid goaltender. Uh, well, not bad, is, not a bad deal for a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the issue, issue is, is defense. They only have four defensemen signed for next year. But if they got all this money, I mean, is it beyond the realm of possibility that they turn around and bring Orlov back? Orlov is a free agent at the end of the year. It, 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 I mean, at, at the moment, it is a rental for he is a rental for the Bruins because unless they move some money, they're not going to be able to resign him. Uh, no, the Bruins are not going to be able to resign him. I don't know that. I don't know that Washington is going to be able to resign him unless they move someone out too, because they only have six million in cap space. Orlov is making about that now uh, for next year. Okay, but if you've already got all these other, you've already got four defensemen locked up. You bring him back. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to want to raise. That's the only problem. I, I just – this is not going to be a quick and easy – I mean, if if Ovechkin's hoping that next year it's all going to be back to normal, uh, probably needs a wake-up call. I don't know that it's going to be back to normal. This may uh, be 
uh, to steal a phrase from a couple of years ago, this may be the new normal for the time being. And that they're struggling to make the playoffs, that they're not going to be front runners. I mean, I mean, if Kuznetsov can have a bounce back year or be moved and moved is almost necessary. I mean, at just under eight million a year in a cap hit, that's that's a lot that they can do. He has a 15 team no trade list. Uh, actually, no. At this point, it's now a 10-team tra- no-trade list. Um, you have to consider moving on from him as well, which Ovechkin isn't going to like, but you can probably get. There are going to be. No, go ahead. For the cap space that he's using, I mean, if he were still contributing, if he were contributing like last year where he got 78 points in 79 games, great. But this year he got 55 points in 78 games, and that's so far, and is a minus 23. And as I was going to say, the getting a, getting a forward who can be somewhat reliable is easier than getting another defenseman the caliber of Orlov based on based on the way their defense is set now with Carlson and the and the backup singers I don't know that that gets it done they need to bring in somebody with of Orlov's cal, of caliber I'm not yes. saying they go and sign him back again which is again a, a a possibility but they need to bring in another one you can't survive with just one no, it doesn't work. It hasn't. It hasn't worked in in the entire cap era. I'm not even sure it worked it, most years before the cap. And yes, Darcy Kemper is is long term, but unless you're going to go with Kemper and Lindgren going forward, which is what it looks like based on the contracts, because everybody else between Gibson and the four guys that they have listed on cap friendly in the minors, unless one of them has stepped up in the offseason, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of movement. So that my guess is they're going forward with Lindgren and Kemper. I don't think they're going to go shopping for a goalie in the offseason. They may look to draft one with all of the extra draft picks that they acquired Although, yeah, to be honest, I mean, they still only have one first round. You know, they got a lot of draft picks, but they weren't in this draft. I just realized that. I mean, Vince Dunn is going to be a UFA. Oh, I'm sorry. It looks like he's still going to be an RFA. RFA. Why yeah. do I think that he's been around longer than this? Um, Damon Severson, currently the longest tenured New Jersey Devil at the creaky and decrepit age of 28. I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, probably not. I, I'm not sure I'd make that jump even even for a... And I like Damon Severson. A hefty raise. Uh, I mean, they've done the... I'm pretty certain they've done the Radko Gudis thing. Um, I don't know that they're going to be able to pry Ethan Bear out of Vancouver, although it's Vancouver. You <laughs> never know what's going to happen there. 
end of the season we find out Elias Pettersson's been moved, even though they were building around him, that'd be hilarious. I mean, or lower in the roster, Troy Stetcher is also a UFA. He's familiar with the team. Bringing him back might work. And but they're still not. They're still not. They're still not replacing Orlov. I understand that. Me, I was, no, I was just gonna, to me they're not viable equivalents for core. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have somebody who can do exactly what Orlov does, but you need something comparable. And to me, the names that you listed, I love, and I like Vince Dunn. I was, I, I go back to the whole Pittsburgh thing and why Rutherford left. I think it was Rutherford, and you know because he couldn't acquire Vince Dunn who he wanted because they wanted Latang and it was like no 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 you know the fact that Vince Dunn you know I wanted him on the Bruins at one point in time you know oh, based yeah. on you know I, I like Vince Dunn but he's still to me not quite on Orlov's level yet you need somebody close to his level I mean depending on what you're looking to do and how much trouble you're willing to stir up. <laughs> okay, Andre Miller's an RFA. You might be able to get you might be able to pry him away from the Rangers who are also going to be a little tiny bit cap uh I think I think the Rangers are gonna wanna hang on to him. Hampered. I'm not saying they're going to be in cap jail because but they have a lot of work to do this offseason. They have 14 players signed for next year and just 12 million and change to uh, fill the rest of the roster. Um, some of the players not signed are Tarasenko, Kane, um, up front, uh, Nico Mikola out back. Mm-hmm. Um, you might, you might be able to do you might actually be able to pry him loose. Connor Clifton will be a UFA. Yeah. Not that I yeah. want to see him go, but. Quite honestly, if you pay him $3 million, you're getting him for more than Boston's probably going to want to pay him. I don't know. Boston tends to Boston tends to um, like to hang on to. Well, their GM tends to like to hang on to you know the players he falls in love with. So unless he really has a thing against Connor Clifton, what Connor's done this season has earned him some kind of raise. It, it certainly has earned him a raise. But when you go back and look at the Bruins. It's it's a tough sell trying to get uh, trying to figure out how to fit everyone under the cap. We already know they're not going to be able to keep Orlov uh, without moving out either either Lindholm or McAvoy or two other defensemen. Uh, Gostas Bear. He's available. He's easy UFA. Um, Oscar Clefbaum available. Um, Brian Dumoulin and is one of those guys who makes a decent amount of sense. 
Uh, he's in Pittsburgh. I've always thought that he was a really solid contributor. I don't know. I just think that I just think that some of the names are are players that <sighs> there's not Pittsburgh this really is not can't. a star-studded UFA class. Yeah, Pittsburgh really can't afford to let Dumoulin go because the rest of their defense core is mm, not. No, no. <laughs> so I just I don't I don't know. It, it's going to be it, it's going to be a tough road, tough road to hoe, tough road to hoe for Washington going forward. You made a promise to Ovechkin a decade and a half ago that you, you know. Can you keep it? I don't. I don't, I don't know. think. I don't think that it's. I don't think that they're going to be capable of, of keeping that promise. Unfortunately, I think that's what they are heading into is a rebuild. And whether he wants to, whether Ovechkin wants to stick it out there or not, that's entirely up to him and whatever he can force. Uh, whatever you can force the Washington Capitals to do as far as moving him or what, no. Uh, Brian McClellan probably should never have said that, but then again, looking back, probably didn't expect that he was going to have to be dealing with it either or hoping that. (laughs) But with three more years on his contract after this season, uh, and dare I say, his three – I mean, his contract is definitely team-friendly based on what he could be getting, although he is 35-plus. Fair enough. But under $10 million for a guy who's still putting the puck in the net and, and encroaching on a milestone that will probably not be uh, at all touched anytime soon. I don't know. I think that they're heading for the dreaded rebuild and Ovechkin's going to have to decide how he wants to play it out. I I think that you're probably right because the only other answer when you look at the number of no movement and no trade clauses on this team other than a retool is either a slow sink into irrelevance or you're asking people to waive no trade clauses and, or even no movement clauses. I really, really can't see them moving on from Carlson. It just doesn't make any sense um, unless he demands a trade. Um, I can't see them moving on from, Uh, Backstrom, unless he demands a trade. And those are your two weightiest contracts after Obi. It makes it makes me wonder, looking at the way this is structured, it makes me wonder if Brian McClellan was actually in charge. or if I don't think Chiarelli. it was McClellan who told him. I think it was – this goes way back to when Obi joined the team. This was ownership. This was Ted Leonsis who told Obi there would never be a rebuild. Ah, yeah, that, you, therein lies the problem. No, but it was it's Brian McClellan who doled out all of the or it was Peter Chiarelli. I'm not sure which, but somebody doled out all these no movement clauses like candy. 
like it was Halloween, and he said everybody gets a no movement clause this year. Fabulous. Here you go. Because there's a whole laundry list of players that have no trade, no movement clauses. And the last time I saw a list like this was the Bruins under Chiapet. Oh, I don't know. The Oilers under Chiapet were pretty, uh, pretty hip deep in them, too. Fair enough. <laughs> on the on the topic of the Oilers, uh, yeah. have you looked at the actual stats for the whole Oilers roster this year? For the whole Oilers roster? Yeah. It's kind of hard to look at the stats for the whole roster when all they keep talking about is that Connor guy. Well, they do talk about the other guy there, too. Uh, the Leon kid. Oh, Dreisaitl, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm betting you're not talking about him either. Specifically, I'm talking about the Nuge. Ah. My understanding is he's having himself a decent season this year. Well, that's that's one of those their practice understatements that I think you're making. Um, well. He's over a hundred points this year. There's only like a handful of guys that are over a hundred points, aren't there? And when you look at his previous point totals, it's a little bit staggering to see. Because you go back to, I mean, last year he had nowhere near that. But are we looking at it from a standpoint of, Nowhere near that. I mean, what's the difference this year then, I guess, is my question. Almost double, like literally almost double. And that's what makes it so startling, particularly when you consider that he's never even come close to this before. I mean, he's got a he's got a boatload of assists. He's I mean, 37 goals is nothing to sneeze at. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But, I mean, he's got 66 helpers. Yep. For 103. And he's the, he's the last player on the – he's tied with Jason Robertson, you know, that guy who almost didn't get signed by Dallas. <laughs> tied with Jason Robertson with 103 points. So there are literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players over 100 points. Now, Patterson last is – Last year on. in 63 games, he put up 50 points. Wow. 11, 39 and 50. His previous career high in one of his one of two seasons where he played all every game was 69 points. They are so the the Oilers are so reliable on their top six, though. Connor McDavid over 22 minutes, 22 and a half minutes a night. Dreisaitl just under 22 minutes a night. Uh, The Nuge. Just under 20 minutes a night. I mean, they're riding yeah, this. They are they're, riding. They're top undoubtedly players. top heavy. But the jump almost across the board. I mean, last year he had a 7.1 shooting percentage. 7.1. Previous uh, year was 11.9. His previous high, 15.89. This year he's at an 18.8 shooting percentage. Is uh, sustainable? 
he's got 37 goals. <laughs> so and he's shooting, le- so he's shooting less, passing more. I don't know, but he's got he's got almost as many assists this season as he has points in his previous best season. So it's not just him. The team is functioning better around him. He has won slightly more assists than is normal for him, uh, slightly more faceoffs than is normal for him. Like mm-hmm. his career faceoff percentage is 44.2. He's at 45.07, up j- almost almost five points from last year. Um, he's just having a great year. Yeah, no, no arguments. It just it, it's amazing what you can glean from the numbers though when you look at them because you look at you look at the Nuge and he's having a great year. I mean, I'm not going to argue it. 1.29 points per game. Uh, you know, only 47 uh, less than half of the points are on even uh let me get this straight. Yeah, 47 points even strength, 52 on the power play. So almost even. And he's got four shorthanded points. But the thing that jumps out at me, and when you look at him and McDavid and Dreisaitl, is you've got three guys on one team over 100 points, and yet Connor McDavid is only a plus 22. The Nuge is only a plus 12. Dreisaitl is only a plus 6. You look at other guys who are in the 100-point club. Pasternak is a plus 32. McKinnon plus 28, Robertson plus 34. Uh, what is uh, their offense? Works. If uh, that's defense. what I was going to say, if Edmonton could find some way of await oh, that whole defense thing, they'd be ridiculous. Right now, offensively, they're ridiculous, but as a team, they're kind of eh. I mean, all the power to Ryan Nugent Hopkins. This is this is great for him. He's finally healthy. Absolutely. He's, and and yeah. that's a big thing. You know, all those injuries that he had. I mean, he we've talked about it many times. He certainly got thrown in before a he was ready. A year or two too early. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's absolutely 100% earned that no movement clause he has now. He started, this contract started last year at 5.125 cap hit for uh, eight years. And <clears throat> this is hands down the best season of his career. If he keeps playing like this, he's going to have the best contract in the league. Pretty close to it. If he can keep up these kind of points. Yeah. Um, or, or come close to it. I'm not saying he has to get over 100 points. If he comes in at 85, 90 points, I still think that he's a bargain. Oh yeah, I mean, quite frankly, at his contract, anything at five and a quarter, at under five and a quarter, anything over like 0. 0.75, 0. 0.8 points per game is a win uh, for the team. Yeah. And by the way, and, just. And just to finish off the top of the list and and to actually not make Ryan Nugent Hopkins at plus 12, the, the, the lowest number on the list, Nikita Kucherov, 110 points. He's a minus three. 
Yikes. Yeah. You have 30 goals, 80 points, 80 assists, 110 points, and you're a minus three. Um, oops. That's why that's what I'm not understand. That's what I'm not getting is you look at some of these numbers and I'm all thrilled for Ryan Nugent Hopkins that he's finally I mean, it's taken him, what, seven years? Not he's years? finally the player that everyone hoped he would be when he was in his draft year. Yes. No, I'm great for him. I'm happy for him. If only Edmonton could somehow solidify the back end and make those numbers mean something. I guess is the argument I'm trying to make. Makes sense to me. Uh, now we're, we're in full agreement that the Oilers are having a pretty G dang solid season. Yeah, no, they, and, and they are, they're, they're doing it by just outscoring everybody, but they are. Can this team remain as it is if they don't at least win in the second round? Uh, It's almost starting to sound like a Toronto question. Um, Well, Toronto has to actually win at least one round. Otherwise, it's going to get scoured to bedrock. Like... There is no question in my mind they will not have the same GM next year, and at least two of the four biggest contracts on that team will be gone by training camp if they're if they don't have if they're not if they don't have at least four wins this postseason. No, I think that I think I think Edmonton has to seriously. I think that they. I think that as a as an organization, they have to seriously consider doing a mild blow up if they don't make it past the second round, because you look at these numbers, they've scored 318 goals, 318. Yep. Yet their yet their goal differential is half of the Bruins. Literally they're plus 61. The Bruins who have scored 290 goals are a plus 122. I mean, again, screaming, I don't know that it's fair to compare any team to the Bruins this year. And I'm not saying that to brag as a Bruins fan. No, I understand that that. because this is a completely redonkulous season. I understand that. But from the standpoint of just sheer, just numbers, just the Bruins have a defense and an offense that can score and they have, they have excellent goaltending. I'm not going to deny it. If you can get yourself, a middle of the road to slightly above average in the goaltending and you can improve the defense on Edmonton, you've got something. So if you, if you're relying on just outscoring everyone, it's not going to happen. You have, they have to do something. So yes, if they can't get to the second round, they need to blow up, move some players and do something about that back end. And, and and I know I sound like a broken record. I apologize, but that's, we've been saying the same thing about this team's back end for ten years. Yes, and they haven't done anything about it. Definition of insanity? 
doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Mm, I'm, thinking Edmonton, I'm thinking Edmonton's a little insane at the moment. Now they go on and they win Lord Stanley. Then everybody else is possibly the biggest shock in. <laughs> yeah. And everybody else is going to stop and look at it and go, do we actually follow their game plan? Or is this just a sheer fluke? Because <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. And Stuart Skinner is a decent goaltender. So I, I, I don't know that you necessarily have to move him. I think you have to do something with the players in front of him. At least one more guy who knows his way around the defensive zone. That would work, sure. Um, on the on, and that's on the blue line because while I like the fact that they added uh, forwards who can you know actually play in their own zone, that's not how it gets done. I mean, Nick Bjugstad is not the same as having a solid defensive defenseman. At this point, you have Darnell Nurse. Matias Ackholm and a bunch of guys who definitely are at least nominally defensemen. Well, they're listed as defensemen, so. (laughs) And the Jack Campbell signing, maybe not what it should have been. Uh, And he's got a no, no trade clause. Oh, there you go. Excellent. I mean, the fact that you got Clefbaum on injured reserve and Clefbaum's a decent defenseman. I'm not going to put him like at the top of any lists, but decent defenseman, but he's on L- he's on long-term IR. Uh, I think that getting him back would help. I can't argue with that. Um, I just there's just a not there's just there's something that they they, they need something. I'm just out just hoping you outscore your opponents every night is just eh, no. It's It's not a game plan. It's not a game plan for long term success. No, no, no. Just go out. Just come out and say it. It's dumb. I know. I'm I'm still trying to be nice guy. I don't know. (laughs) It's dumb. <laughs> um, jumping around to uh, some signings this week and last week, yeah. uh, Boston Bruins signed one of their best prospects, top three, top five, <clears throat> Mason Lowry to a uh, amateur tryout agreement. Six foot four, 200 plus pound defenseman out of Ohio State. Uh, just had a, a quarter final appearance uh, in the Frozen Four. I like this signing for more than one reason. Go for it. I mean, aside from Mason, aside from the fact that, okay, you know what? He spent two years at Ohio State, he's improved in those years. Uh, the numbers that he put up in the USHL before that, the fact that they signed him to an AHL amateur tryout agreement means that there's no entry level. He's not burning anything. If he comes up, he has to play in the AHL. 
So there's no risk of him burning the first year of an entry level. So at the end of his amateur tryout contract for however long it is, they turn around, they offer him entry level, and then he's got a full three years on that contract. This was a smart way of doing it. Well, I think there's also the option. There's also the option where it's an amateur tryout agreement, and he's got one assist in those three games uh, since signing in uh, Pravi, that he can actually go back to college if they know they're not going to be able to. Yes. If they know there's not a good chance that he's going to play in Boston next year. And that's why because, I said it's an it's an AHL amateur tryout. He's not even linked to the NHL. He's signed to an AHL amateur tryout. Yes. So he can. It's just a very smart way of doing it. I think this was brilliancy. Bring him in, see what, see how he hand, see how he holds up against AHL competition. See where he's at in in that talent pool. And yeah, send him back to if he can go back to Ohio State. Excellent. Because he finished third in scoring on his team this year. That's right. I thought he was there two years. He's only there. He's that was his this was his freshman year. Yeah, he finished uh, third in scoring on the uh, Buckeyes roster. Um, Jake Wise and Stephen Halliday ahead of him. Stephen Halliday is. Ajax, Ontario, 20 years old, also rather tall, 6'3", 213. Um, He belongs to the Senators. Of course. And then Jake Wise is a Blackhawks pick, uh, who should be probably signing uh, that entry-level deal himself. He's played five college seasons at this point. Yeah, I think it's time. <laughs> I do believe it's time. But no, that was I I think that was a great way of getting him in so you can see where he's at, evaluate him. And then yeah, if he needs more seasoning, he's only on an it's only on a tryout basis, so head on back. And of course, the signing that was witnessed around the world. <laughs> is there another Hughes in the NHL? <laughs> there is indeed another Hughes in the NHL. This one being the New Jersey Devils' second Hughes, uh, Luke, uh, who just signed out of college, uh, University of Michigan. He is so 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 very happily. Uh, He's been rather happily received. They did not play him last night against Boston, no. which for which I don't blame them at all. Uh, it was a very chippy game. It was a very fast moving game. Yeah, I don't think that was not the right environment to be to be giving a guy his first game in the NHL. That was probably that was a smart move on their part. <laughs> but in Luke's single college or no second college season, second, yeah. he had two years at Michigan. 39 games, 10 goals, which is down from his first year, 38 assists, which is one short of his points total for his first year, and a total of 48 points is something just short of ridiculous. 
especially when you add in that he played seven uh, World Junior under 20 uh, games and popped in four goals and assists for five points. Uh, jumping back and forth between juniors uh, or like a tournament like that and the college season, it's pretty, it's a very different beast. Yes. And you gotta you gotta remember that when he was on when he's playing for the Wolverines, he's playing with and I know how you feel about the Hobie Baker Award, I get it, but he's playing with Adam Fantilli, who's the Hobie Baker Award winner. He's playing with like thirteen other guys who are NHL prospects at this point, or draft picks. They've been drafted. And I wanna say they have like seventeen on that team or something like that. Uh actually Absolutely. Harvard had the most in the uh in college this year, yes. uh, Minnesota was second, um, and yet none of those three teams actually uh, finished the year with the last win. This is true. Nice segue. Are we segueing? <laughs> Go Into- ahead. You can do it. Well, your boy, your boy, my boy and yours, your boy and mine, however you want to put it. <sighs> Connor Clifton is skating around a little bit happier today. <laughs> As is Devin Tays, by the way, because they're the only two players I can think that actually went to this school. Quinnipiac has taken down the Minnesota Golden Gophers and won the NCAA College Ice Hockey Championship for this year. And they it's did the first, it in dramatic fashion. The first time in school history. Dramatic fashion, scoring how many seconds into the overtime was it? Literally but right off the bat. That's not even the really dramatic part because well, Minnesota came out and went up 2-0. Well into the second period, they were up 2-0. Yeah. Um, but they were playing very... It was a very tight game. They were playing very safe hockey. They were doing a lot of clearing it out, clearing pucks out of the, instead of, instead of making more aggressive moves, they were spending a lot of time clearing pucks up the, clearing pucks out of the zone, sending them up the boards. They weren't, once they got that two nothing lead, they weren't aggressive or they didn't, they didn't, they didn't seem as aggressive. And the Quinnipiac coach, and I apologize, I don't remember his name. Been there 29 years. Is an aggressive coach to begin with. Pulled the goaltender. I mean, once they got to within 2-1, he pulled his goalie with three minutes left in the game. Three minutes! In the what, NHL, do you have to, what do you have left to wait for? But in the NHL, they usually pull a goalie. It's like minute and a half, minute 20. Three minutes what? left. Apparently, he had a power play at the time, so it made it made some sense. They, they were playing six on four at, at that point. But there's no tomorrow, though, if you they, don't win this game. I understand that, but they didn't actually score on the power play. The game tying goal came after the power play. But he pulled the goal. He's an aggressive, and, and and from all I've read and from what I've witnessed, uh, Riverboat Gambler. As they, you know, as they like to call some of the NFL coaches, 
this guy was Riverboat Gambler. He's pulling his goalie. I understand. You got nothing left. It's the last game of the season. You know, you arguably the last that. game of your tenure as head coach if you've been there 29 years and you lose. I don't know if they would have got rid of him if they didn't win. You think so? They went Division One. He was hired for one reason: win a national championship, not be competitive. <laughs> but he's been there for 29 years. So if they were going to fire him at some point, wouldn't it have been in the last 29? <laughs> this is the first time he's had the opportunity to actually win versus to play for it. Okay. There's a difference. Okay. I mean, congratulations to Quinnipiac. Hey, the thing is now they're all sad in Minnesota because they're worried about half the kids that are they're worried about. uh, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Tyler Clevin already did sign his entry level, but they're worried about a bunch of the kids that are draft picks going on and signing entry levels and leaving the school. And they're worried about what 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 that means for next year and. You know what? That's college hockey, like or college sports. Period. You came that close. Either way, you're going to lose players. You're going to lose players because they don't like losing. You're going to lose players because they're graduating. You're going to lose players because you won, and they're going to get plucked. That's what usually happened. Um, I. I honestly thought this was a great game. Uh, yes. Zach Metz's pass to set up the first Quinnipiac goal was simply phenomenal. Through traffic, in motion, through through the goaltender's stick, onto the stick of uh, his teammate, you're talking about a pass that's at that Marks of our Joe Thornton, uh, Adam Oates level <clears throat> with a guy who's, I believe, let's see, a defenseman, number one, a defenseman, number two, I don't believe anyone actually owns his draft rights. Yeah, he 5'9, 180 pounds out of Delafield, Wisconsin, right shot defenseman, October of 98, so he's 24 years old. No one owns his rights. He's a free agent now. If someone doesn't at least throw an entry-level contract at him just for that pass, and yes, I understand it's slightly silly, but at worst, he can lead your AHL team. Okay. Nine goals, 28 assists, uh, 37 points in 40 games this year. 10 goals, 27 assists, 37 points, 42 games last year. Uh, he spent some time in the USHL. He spent some time in the BCHL. <clears throat> We've seen guys his size succeed in the NHL. Someone needs to throw a contract at him. Uh, I think that we'll start with an invite to development camp first. That could happen, but if you're only inviting him, you don't have any exclusivity with him. True. But if 31 other teams haven't signed him either or thrown money at him, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but. But in a lot of cases, you need that exposure, that big game visibility. 
Yes. Another kid who might well get some attention, certainly some invites if he's committed to the college route. Uh, their their leading scorer, uh, Colin Graff. 20 years old. He'll be uh, 21 at the start of this season, uh, NHL season. Six foot tall, 170 pounds out of Lincoln, Mass. Colin Graff, 21 goals, 38 assists, 59 points um, in those 41 games. Uh, played two seasons uh, for the Boston Junior Bruins of the NCDC. Okay. You know there's He's a butt prob- coming here, right? What? Said, you know, there's a butt coming here. He's going to get some attention. I don't know what's going to happen with him, but. There, see, there it is. But he didn't score in three plus. Basically playoff games, three plus NCAA tournament games. He didn't score at all. I'm not saying that he's not a big game player, but is that well, a concern? You You're just trying not to say it, but go ahead. Is that a concern? Is I don't it something think it he, is. This is probably the first meaningful game he's played since he was on the Junior Bruins. And in those six playoff games, he had eight points. Okay. Is the, is the competition level higher? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I don't think you can conclude that a player isn't a – big game player from one playoff run. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to make an, a point as to why he may or may not have been drafted, why he may or may not get a contract thrown at him straight away without getting some kind of invite. To be, oh, these to guys are a lot of these guys are undersized. Period. Plus, Quinnipiac is not a an A tier school in terms of the level of scouting that they get, and the level of scrutiny that they get, and the level of uh, of already drafted players that they get. True. Uh, Ethan DeJong, right wing uh, for for them. He's their what third leading scorer. Also undrafted, 23-year-old out of uh, North Vancouver, British Columbia. 5'11", 180 pounds, 19, 21, and 40 in 40 this year. Right shot, right wing. It's going to be interesting to see if and when he lands someplace. I can't think that a team that had no winning pedigree that goes in and calmly dispatches the team that had been number one all year. <laughs> I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong to, to walk in, to be able to, to be able to walk in against the number one team and, and to sit there and fall behind by two goals and not panic, not, not start going completely, uh, off the rails, sending five guys into the offensive zone. Everybody's attacking. Everybody's attack. You know, it, they still played within themselves. And I find I, I got his name, head coach Rand Pecknell. Fabulous game. 
he has his kids obviously well groomed to for this for this because they didn't panic. They didn't look out of place. They didn't look like they were just running around chickens with their head cut off style. You know, the fact that he gambled and pulled the goalie and that they were able to hold it together defensively. Yes, two minutes. Yes, two minutes of that was was power play time. But you still have to worry that the other team can shoot all they want at the, you know, at the empty net and not have to worry about icing. So you got that going for going against you. Yeah. It, it's for a program that you don't hear a lot about compared to the big 10 schools, compared to the hockey East schools, compared to uh, even uh, ECAC here in New England. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. I don't know what else to say. I mean, for a school that doesn't get the notoriety that all these other schools do, they put together a heck of a team, a heck of a season. Uh, No arguments here. I love to see I love to see new programs or programs that haven't done it in a long time get that win because Let's be honest, in terms of colleges, a lot of the difference in quality is as much a difference in fit as it is actual quality. Uh, Okay, question. Oh, okay, I was going to say we got some bad news, but go ahead, question. Uh, What's the bad news? Uh, well, it's bad news for the 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 team up there in that that Big Ten area, Minnesota. They got some oh, bad news. They go got some good it. news, but they got some bad news. Apparently, got Kirill Kaprizov back in the lineup from whatever was ailing him, and I don't remember what it was. Unfortunately, they have lost um, a key piece in Joel Erickson Eck, and it's a it's listed as a week to week issue obviously they don't tell us what it is because god forbid we should know that he might have you know an injured arm or something yeah but basically he went down after blocking a shot against the pittsburgh penguins and he's been basically it's it, it, it's a week-to-week injury they're obviously not saying what it is but that's not good. I mean, they probably want to prevent it from being targeted uh, by opposing players. I mean, they won't have to worry about Jordan Bennington throwing something at it in the postseason, but who knows? Yeah. I. <laughs> well, you do have Ryan Hartman there if you're really going to worry about. If you're going to worry about, uh, you know, Bennington coming at you. you I'm thinking that, yeah. So, um, speaking of Bennington. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping to Fishnet say did an interview uh, with Brad Marchand back on the second. And it couldn't be a more perfect example of what the NHL desperately needs. And that's the displaying of personality. Well, <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a lot of the, there's a lot of things they could do. They could use the fact that you know Patner in the game against uh, in the game against uh, was it St. Louis? Wasn't St. Louis? Was it Toronto? Was talking about was it even Toronto? I don't remember which game it was. Darren Pang sitting there talking about how Pasternak gets it. So it, there's a lot that the NHL needs to do as far as utilizing personality. But yes, with Bissonette, go please. I want. I I can't stop laughing about this. Like Bissonette is all sorts of exactly what the NHL needs. He was not. He was not a particularly gifted offensive player, not a particularly gifted skater, but he does understand the game. And the more you listen to him talk, uh, the clearer that becomes. Uh, So, but being who he is, he starts off an interview with Brad Marsh and, Asking, you know, how does it feel to be going up against someone uh, or going into the crease against someone who's fit for uh, a straight jacket? At which point I lost it, like nearly fell out of my chair because, you know, Brad Marchand's been in the league over a decade. He's heard every standard question 6,800 times. And that's that's not in the standard book of interviewers uh, questions for the NHL. Uh, And he's he's standing there leaning against the boards pregame skate. And I thought he was going to fall over, but he just kept laughing while he's trying to answer the question. Um, And Brad Marchand said, you know, he's good for me. He makes me look like a good guy. And. On the surface, it seems ridiculous because of how much borderline nonsense Brad Marchand got up to across his career. But then when you actually think about it, Mm -hmm. most of it was just that borderline. And well, none of it was off the ice when he got when he started the habit of licking guys faces. (laughs) Yeah, but none of it was off the ice. Oh, true. Yeah, no, 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 true. Yes, it, it was. It was not off ice stuff. It was on ice. It was on. Yeah, but there are some things that he did that I, I'm like, uh, okay. Like Brad Marchand is absolutely completely ridiculous, and I freely admit that even the weird stuff I find hilarious because it was so weird that like. Even the guys who don't like him couldn't react what in most cases would be considered properly by knocking his teeth out of his backside. Um, They just looked at him like he was completely insane. And Brad Marchand still owns space in a lot of people's heads, both players and fans. Um, And it's a glorious thing to watch. Jordan Bennington, on the other hand, the worse he plays and – Yes, it gets worse than his average outcomes. Uh, the flightier he becomes. I mean, it was bad enough he chucked a water bottle at Nazem Kadri's head two or three days after an incident where Kadri was the second player to collide with him, yeah. uh, the first being someone from his own team. Uh but Kadri was in the middle of being interviewed at the time, so it's not like anyone could pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, pretty much. And then some of the other on-ice incidents, it's just, no. 
but overall, this is the stuff the NHL should have flat out on the front page of NHL.com. It's it's stuff that should be tweeted out on the NHL Twitter account. Uh, it should be on the NHL's TikTok and Instagram and YouTube channel and everywhere else because it engages. It's all about the personality. Um, and whether you like Brad Marchand or not, or you hate Brad Marchand, or you just don't care, like the radio guys who make a career off being the most hated person in the market. Mm-hmm. You can't not react. Are we seeing, are we seeing a possible second, the second career for Brad when he is done with hockey? <laughs> I mean, if this, I if this don't know can if do it, want to, if this, like can he do has it. that Miller and Marsh meet Miller and Marshan show. Yeah, well, they they've got a company together, uh, hunting yes. deer and whatnot. Like I, I I could see him on whatever the outdoor channel is by the time he retires, um, hosting a show or two there, maybe even like a genuine Nesson show uh, that's similar to you know the Mad Fisherman, uh, maybe. Uh, but I thought that's I, what Meat Miller and Marshand was. It was kind of like a Mad Fisherman for hunting or something. It's it's not quite the same because they do a lot of different hunting and uh, fishing activities. Yeah, but it's it's worth talking about. Uh, anyone who hasn't had the opportunity should watch a couple episodes because uh, they have some of the players as guests. They have some other people. Um, it's worth it's worth watching. Uh, you know, if you're into that stuff, I I wouldn't mind seeing Brad Marchand in the in the booth occasionally. I don't necessarily want him break. I don't necessarily want him reading off of everyone's coursey and uh, shot uh, differential and blah 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 and describing shot quality endlessly. No, but I to be honest, I don't think Bissonette. To be honest, I don't think Bissonette does that either. Bissonette can get into the X's and O's, but he's never going to sit there and read you a stat chart as for why a team is winning, losing, or That's- playing differently. Well, as you said, that's not his personality. I mean, his personality is interviewing Brad and saying, so being somewhat of a loose cannon yourself. Yeah. Are you does does that make you hesitant when you go up against somebody like <laughs> Bennington's been a little bit of a loose cannon being a loose cannon yourself? Does it make you hesitant going up against somebody who's fit for a straitjacket? And honestly, it's just gorgeous copy like. And yet nobody, there's there's no blowback. I looked for blowback. Nope. Somebody, anybody who would comment saying, oh, I can't believe Bissonette would say that. Uh, nothing. I can't it, find any blowback. I mean, part of that is because Bissonette has been saying stuff like that since he was a player. And part of it is because pretty much everyone agrees at this point. Biddington is a little outside of the bell curve for normal. I mean, I've seen other goaltenders that had a little bit of a <clears throat> struggle with keeping on the straight and narrow, but. Are you talking about the Lord of the Milk crates? That would be one. <laughs> but again, as much as I'm not and never have been a fan of Tuka Rask, 
especially now that I've seen that picture of him skating in the alumni game. Okay, I, I'm still trying to put that out of my mind, and I can't. So Can't. <laughs> At least Tukarask mostly kept his weirdness somewhere near the ice surface. Yes, fair enough, yes. In the in the general haze of games. I mean, uh, but the Bruins had a draft pick named Nicholas Svedback that liked to oh, get himself into fights more than he liked to actually play as a goaltender. <laughs> Again, not the soundest thing for a goalie, but he, he does have the most pads on, so why not? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's just clear entertainment, and this is the type of stuff that, as we've been saying all along, the NHL needs to show market that like they, crazy. they need to market that they have personality. It, 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 as we talked about last night, the whole thing with the Victor Hedman and Stamkos commercial, the only time I see that is during an NHL game. That That's something that they need to advertise, that they literally need to put on during, like, they need to put that on during shows like The View and Good Morning America and whatever talk shows are on during the day. If you actually want to build an audience with women, there's really not much more that's going to subtly capture the attention of a lot of family people um, of either gender, and which is something that Bettman has been claiming he wants to do for 20-something years. Then having two guys standing there discussing their children while one of them holds their six month old uh, in a holder on their chest. Like, you know, the six foot four guy, 200 and something pounds. Yes. And he's got the six month old on his chest. And, and Stamco says to him, ah, not on skates yet, huh? <laughs> and well, he is only there six. is nothing more Canadian than Stamco's character attitude during that commercial. Victor's like, well, he is only six months old. <laughs> he must not really, he must not really want it or something like that. <laughs> That's the type of stuff they need to market. They need to get it into, they need to get it into time zones that aren't hockey time zones and get people seeing stuff like that and seeing the personalities and seeing the players not always just on the ice, hitting each other and fighting all the time. You, <sighs> Yeah, exactly. You need to give more people more real reasons to watch. Yeah. Um, if you're trying not, if you're trying to make hockey more appealing to more people, you have to show them what it is, not just claim that it's not a certain thing anymore. And claiming that it's not, you know, all fights and stuff anymore, which it really hasn't been in 20 plus years, um, is great. But you still have to get people to watch. Yes. Like you have to get people to watch and personalities do that. You know, I used to turn I've turned in tuned into sports that I don't watch all that much because of the personalities of players on the field or on the court. Uh, Michael Jordan was a magnetic player. People turn into tune into NBA games to watch LeBron James, whether they love him or hate him because watching him lose 
is just as fascinating and enjoyable for a lot of people as watching him win for his fans. There are absolutely players in the NHL with that level of personal magnetism if you just spotlight it a little tiny bit. I think that's what that Mr. TNT award is all about. (laughs) I I do want a full explanation on that one, yes. Well, they were were joking about it on this same broadcast. They were joking, answering uh, uh, Liam McHugh or, or... was asking who who actually picks the award or Wayne Gretzky asked somebody asked who picks the award and they all some Anson Carter said oh Biz does and and Bissonette was now we got a full crack staff working on this and crunching the numbers I mean it was all laughing and joking but I don't know who actually picks the the award winner so I honestly think the award started out as a joke and just sort of grew from there mm-hmm but hey, Brad Marchand is in the lead. He's ahead of Ryan Reeves, and who was in third? Oh, some guy named Tage, because apparently his initials are TNT, Tage Nathaniel Thompson. They are, and there was another guy with some, with the same initials who was somewhere in the league. I forget where who uh, who they were talking about too uh, earlier in the year. But this is the sort of thing that draws new fans in. Yes. Um, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Uh, we haven't talked about it in depth. I'm of two minds on it. Yeah. And I think that mostly, well, here's the question. Has the records, plural, Chase, been good or bad for the Boston Bruins? I, and when I say good or bad for the Boston Bruins, I mean for the players for the discipline, for the system, for uh, and not necessarily as much for the quote unquote on ice product or the organization as a whole. Um, what what are your thoughts? What are your feelings on has this chase been good for the team, for the players? I I mean, my first thought was focus, focus, focus. But looking back, they've been focused in the right way. So I think it's a good thing. Back in January, February trade deadline, their focus was less on records, more on making the playoffs. Everybody's talking around them about, oh, records this and records that. And they were like, no, you know what? Focused on making the playoffs one game at a time, all the cliches, da, da, da. When they got close enough to it that it could be a reality now, they admitted that, yeah, you know what? We kind of are chasing the record because they are important. But their focus has been such that they haven't let it distract them. And when they got close enough to it that it was within reach, okay, yeah, now we're chasing it. Once it's done, you know, they, they're now tied. Everybody says they made history. They're now tied. Me personally, I think you haven't made history yet because that comes with the next win when you become the team. But you need 63 total wins to do it, not just the 63rd. Understood. I think that I think that I don't think it's been I don't think it's been bad for them. I think that. At times it's been motivation, and I think at times they've been able to 
separate themselves from the distraction. They really haven't been through any huge slumps. I mean, they did have what a three game losing streak or maybe it was yeah. a four game. I mean, I mean, statistically they're winning like eight out of slightly over eight out of 10 games this year. It's hard to have a slump in there. Yeah. So I don't think that it's been bad. I can understand people making an argument that it may be distracting, but I don't think they've let it distract them. My worry and it is a genuine worry, particularly given the age of some of the players, is that it's going, maybe not in the first round, possibly not even in the second round, mm-hmm. is that we're going to see the guys run out of gas. But they've been, have they not been resting them? They have. And, but par, I mean, part of the, part of the equation is, you look at the number of minutes Bergeron has played this year. It's down two or three minutes of ice time a night from right. what he was playing even two years ago. Is that because he's not in the same condition and isn't recovering as fast? Or is it because the depth of the roster allows them to play him less? I person personal feeling. I'm going with the latter. I think it. I, I certainly think, hope that's true. Okay, but you don't believe so. I don't know what to believe. I really don't. Uh, when you and then you add in Krejci's injury. Yes, they beat the Devils, who are maybe the second best, third best team in the in the league right now. But they're also a team that's wildly inexperienced at playoff level hockey, which is what last night's game was. Last night's game was definitely a playoff game. It had that feel to it. It was. It was gritty. It was aggressive. It was controlled violence. (laughs) It was beautiful hockey, like high level passing, like quality shots. No, no garbage shifts like guys that were playing every second of every shift from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I, I do wonder. Is there is there a chance that these guys are going to regress in the postseason, just because of, you know, they're going to be asked to play, to jump back to that 19 and a half, 21 minutes a night for Bergeron and Marchand and even Krejci in the postseason. I mean, if they go out and they play those minutes and they win in four games or five games in the first two rounds, sure, that works. But they have to play seven games, and there's a couple of overtimes where they get to 27, 28, 29 minutes. I think that's where you're going to see some breakdown in some of the older guys. I mean, look at Felino. He hasn't played in, what, two months at this point? He's not going to be getting that many minutes, but is he actually going to be able to come in and play 17 minutes um, in the second, series, second uh, round? 
and not be making foolish mistakes or getting beat because he's just gassed uh, where he would have gotten, you know, where he would have won that uh, battle at eight at the eight minute mark. That's that's my worry. But now they don't have a lot of super old players. So you've got guys like, you know, Grizzly and DeBrusque and Zaka and Pasta. Yeah. But everyone knows <laughs> the playoffs show up. You're looking to the guys who have done it before. And those three guys are not young anymore. Bergeron, Marchand, and Krejci. But do they have to be do they have to be playing 20 minutes a night to be leaders and examples for the younger guys? I don't think that's true. I think they I think that I think that Bergeron can still be a leader and play 17 minutes a night. Leadership leadership isn't the question. Like I don't question their leadership. I don't. Period. I'm questioning how much they have left in the tank. Remember, Bergeron did not sign until very late in the offseason. We don't know what his workout schedule looked like. I suspect it was fairly close to what he was doing three years ago or five years ago. But if he even delayed starting his workout again a week, 10 days, because he wasn't sure about being signed that that will start to creep in. Okay. Overall, though, I think in terms of preserving team health, I think that the extra focus needed to hit these records, and I'm, I'm hoping that they do against Philly tonight, uh, is overall good for the team because I think that when you take your foot off the gas – and you start playing at three-quarter speed, you know, when you start basically playing at all-star game speed. <laughs> Ghosting. That's that's when you get sloppy, and that's when you get lit up by a guy, by a team who still have something to play for. Yeah. Or who want to play spoiler. Um, and you get hurt, and you lose key players when you absolutely can't afford to um, going into the playoffs. You pick up even just the extra nagging injuries. But that's where I look at a game like last night. Clearly, and, and New Jersey had everything to play for because they were they they were fixing to take the top spot in the Metro. They're they're fighting to have home ice advantage at least in the first round. Yep, and they were looking to set a franchise record for wins as well. Right. So they had their own motivation, and the Bruins didn't come out and uh, you know. Tonight, let's just take it easy. No, there was none of that. And I don't know that it's the records that are driving them. They're still still playing with a focus on that final season. They're still playing with a focus on playoffs, deep run. As much as the records, yeah, that's why I don't think the records are – they're nice and – they ignored them until they were close enough. That's why I don't think that they were a distraction. I don't think they were bad. And plus, it, it, you're, we're talking about marketing and engaging the fans. That's another thing that chasing these records does. 
Oh, absolutely. Fans are there engaged. Are people, uh, there are people I work with, uh, people I know who have gone to games or tuned into games for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, I know a guy who's who went to Thursday night's game, I believe it was, who hadn't been to a game in 10 years. Damn. That's huge. I mean, he's primarily a Celtics fan, but he's going because he wants to be part of the story. And that's why I, and that's why I, overall, I think that I think that the records chase is a good thing. I can see where, yes, if it's a distraction, yes. I don't know how much of chasing the records is what's going to wear them out because I don't think that they've knowing this team and knowing Bergeron, the way he plays, knowing Marshawn, the way he plays. I don't think that they're going to change if they weren't chasing a record. If they were only five or seven points ahead of second place and they were playing, I don't think they're going to play any different. I think they're still giving it 110%. I, I see. I think that the gap makes a difference. Uh, I think if it were a two or three point gap, they would be slightly more conservative, but I think at the five to seven where you can legitimately say, or greater where you can legitimately say, yeah, we're that much better than everyone else. You're all bums. That's, <laughs> that's a different thing. Like at two or three points, you at some point have the urge to protect your health and, make a conservative play where you should make an average or even a bold play. And yeah, the Bruins points percentage is eight sixteen this year, which is utterly redonkulous. Utterly redonkulous. There is no one else over like six ninety. Uh-huh. And that's the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, they, what what the Bruins have managed to do this year is, uh, I guess I have to use the word historic. <laughs> oh, he did it, and it only hurt a little bit, boys and girls. <laughs> uh, I think on the uh, on the category of history. We also saw on the league's busiest weekend, uh, busiest day ever. Um, yeah, sixteen eight day games. Where all thirty-two game, all thirty-two teams were playing, so sixteen games. That we saw the sixth fastest ascent to fifteen hundred points, uh, completed by none other than Sidney Crosby. I don't know if I like the nickname, but okay. I have never liked the nickname. Like literally, have you actually heard it when they were talking about him two years before his draft? Have you actually heard this nickname before, Captain Consistent? Oh, that one. Uh, At least they're not calling him Sid the Kid as much. That one I hate and always have. Yeah, then then. if 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 at all you use it like rookie year and that's it. And and, yeah, but no, they the the NHL the NHL dot com article. Authored by Josh Getzoff, said it, it just titled "Captain Consistent," and I just don't know if I. It, it may be true, but I just don't. Know okay, 
the list of guys ahead of him on the list on the race to 1500. Yeah. Every single one of them is a Hall of Famer. Gretzky, Lemieux, Dion, Yager, and Esposito. Yeah. Are you trying to tell me that Sydney's going to the Hall of Fame? I think that's a I think that's been a foregone conclusion for at least five years. Yes. And if you believe all of the biggest fans, uh, most of whom are in the media, probably Sixth, since before he was drafted. Sixth fastest to fifteen hundred points. I mean, fifteen hundred is is a heck of a number. Don't get me wrong. Three Stanley Cup champions, Olympic gold medal uh, championships, Olympic gold medals, Hart trophies, Conn Smythe trophies, Art Rose trophies, Rocket Richard trophies. <sighs> the the odds that he does not make it into the Hall of Fame, he would have to do something grotesquely criminal and be caught at it before his election. <laughs> Like grotesquely criminal, and I don't even want to talk about those categories. Yeah, those aren't categories that you know. They're not happy making. Congratulations to Sydney. Fifteen hundred points again. Nothing to sneeze at. Congratulations to Sydney Crosby and his dad, who was probably the first there to congratulate him before even ownership and coaches and. Oh, wait, sorry. Never mind. Three, three Stanley Cup one then. And believe it or not, I believe we've covered everything. We cleared the board. That means it's time to shut up and let all of you get back to your week. Ladies and gentlemen, hockey fans of all flavors, uh, have a great week. The playoffs are around the corner. The playoffs are indeed around the corner, and I can't wait. I legit cannot wait. Um, I will probably be tweeting up a storm sometime mid, uh, sometime during the week when we know when we actually know what the uh, postseason first round matchups are going to be. Yeah, I do like that the NHL trying to get everybody engaged with their whole bracket challenge thing and, you know, going the way of the NCAA. And that's great, there except is, that we still haven't figured out some of the playoff spots or where the teams are actually landing. <laughs> nope, we haven't. And we probably get, won't until the last day. Got to get have a bracket challenge if you don't know who's actually in. <laughs> you know? But I like the attempt. <laughs> yeah, but there's that nice gap between the last game of the season and the start of the playoffs. Yes. Uh, so there will be plenty of time for everything. Uh, let's see. As April 9th, the season ends. The end of the week. On, what is it? Uh, Friday, April 14th, the last two games of the season are Buffalo-Columbus and Colorado-Nashville. Colorado could still be pushing for their spot in the division. But yeah. even Thursday night, which is a busy game, busy day, you have Boston-Montreal, Carolina-Florida. That could be meaningful. 
you have Tampa, Detroit, you have New Jersey and Washington, Ottawa and Buffalo, Pittsburgh and Columbus, Toronto and the Rangers. Both of those two could be fighting for a playoff spot or for their positioning. I mean, Toronto and Tampa Bay are pretty locked in, but the Rangers, not sure. Winnipeg, Colorado, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis and Dallas. That's an ESPN game. Philly and Chicago, uh, I think both of them are going to try and sneak their entire ECHL rosters onto the ice. Um, so, so, so is Boston. So <laughs> maybe yes. Uh, San Jose, Edmonton, Omar and net. <laughs> yeah. Um, Los, Los Angeles and Anaheim and then Vancouver and Arizona. But that last game of the night, also an ESPN game, mm-hmm. Vegas, Seattle, that could legitimately be meaningful for both teams. Um, busy week folks. Busy week. Uh, I would just clear the decks on Thursday night and prepare to watch that ESPN doubleheader because uh, Vegas currently is two points up on Edmonton. Yeah. And Seattle has clinched a wild card spot, but they are and they're only two points behind Los Angeles for the third uh, Pacific spot in the jeez. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, nothing, nothing set in stone. Don't and set your brackets yet. People are right there. They're one point apart uh, for that second wild card spot. Don't set your brackets yet. <laughs> uh, don't. Uh, yeah, I would not be writing those brackets in ink or submitting yes. them uh, until <laughs> I don't <Pencil>. know Saturday. <laughs> Saturday morning. Pencil is good. Yeah. Okay. As I said, folks, have a great week. We'll be back uh, next Sunday. I guess we'll have our own predictions with first round. And whatever else is hockey news. Take care.